my name's Maria Watton, and this is the Seeing Stories podcast, a podcast that's all about stories, mythological, traditional, fictional, societal, all kinds of different narratives. Today, I'm going to be telling a story. It's an Irish story from the Fenian cycle, and I just wanted to say a little bit about it and these kinds of stories. I'm Liverpudlian and I have an Irish heritage. And so as a child, I always loved being told stories. And the stories that I loved were quite often these huge tales, <laughs> you know, the tales of Coolan, the Fenian cycle stories, the invasion cycle stories. So why did I love those, say, above Arthurian legends? Because I think the Arthurian legends are superb. But there is something about these Irish stories that I feel really close to. And I've had a think about it. You see, in these stories, women weren't just wives and witches. They were also warriors. And quite often princesses weren't just beautiful and languid. They were also muscular, fierce, capable, proactive rather than reactive. And as a child living on a working class council estate, I was surrounded by these warrior women. <laughs> these were women who worked for long hours in the factories. Um, there was a factory not far from us, which was a sheet metal factory. And the women there had scars like they'd been in battle. They had fingers missing. Um, they worked really long hours. And they were often women who... Um, had had big broods as well to look after. They were quite fierce in many ways. There were women, um, you know, in my community who were trade union women, and they were standing up for other people's rights. They could be quite combative. I think they were women warriors, and there were teachers as well. Um, all of them were women, head teachers, teachers, and they were women who were passing on their knowledge to the next generation. So I could relate to warrior women like Skadak, the wisest, strongest, most courageous of warriors. I mean, she's the one who trains Cahoolan in the land of the shadows. There's an expression, isn't there, an old battle axe. And I think that's often used as a term for an older woman who's quite um, strong, maybe a little fierce, from the north. But just think about those words, battle axe. Those women were quite hard. They had to be to survive the environments they were living in. And, you know, they did a really good job of it. 
Um, I'm just thinking as well about another a prin- Princess Aifa. She's also a fearsome woman and she's a great charioteer. She's a tamer of wild horses. She's up for a fight. I actually remember some of those kind of, um, on, on my estate, women can almost squaring up to each other. They were not sentimentalists, these women. Um, and I'm really proud to have been brought up in that kind of environment. I think this explains why these warrior women from the old tradition, um, from the Irish tradition, still spoke to me. And so I'm going to tell you a story now. So just sit back and relax and have a listen. There was once a woman who'd lost two of her children. And she was now well on with her third pregnancy. She said to her husband, I'm close to my time. I cannot travel, but you can. You must seek help for us. We can't lose our third baby. And her husband agreed. Oh, you know, they looked at each other. The troubles they had known together, these poor two young people. And so he kissed her and then he set off across the nine waves searching for help. He'd heard of Finn McCool and he sought him out. Now, Finn and his men had been hunting that day. Um, They were on the shore and they were resting. One of Finn's men pointed out to sea on the horizon. He could see this wee boat. The boat grounded on the girl grey shingle. The young man jumped out. He was tall and handsome and finely dressed. But his face was wrought with pain and trouble. Are you Finn McCool, he said. I answered Finn. Then I need your help. You see, Finn's reputation went before him. Finn, Finn McCool, had been born to trouble. His mother, Werner, had been forced into giving him away when he was a baby. That was to keep him safe. You see, she, at the time, was being tracked by Gol McMorna's men. Werner gave Finn over to two of her friends, two women, two women warriors, Bomal and Leah Lucra. They promised Moana that they'd take good care of her baby. And you know what they did? They sheltered him in a crease of the Sleeve Bloom Mountains. And as he grew, they taught him the ways of the wild. They taught him how to hunt, how to have courage. They taught him slingshots, how to use a bow and arrow, a spear. They taught him how to run and fast. Leah Lucra would play chase games with him when he was just a tiny little boy. And she'd say, come and chase me. And they'd run and run around a tree. Now, Leah Lucra could outrun a deer. By the time Finn was a teenager, he could outrun hare. Those warrior women had taught him everything 
Oh, well, everything that is except how to be a good poet. And, you know, if you want to be a great warrior, you know, you have to know how to describe the beauty of the world about you with words. And the person who was best fit to do that was Finicus, the fisherman, who for seven long years had been sitting on the banks of the River Boyne trying to catch the salmon of knowledge. Now, when Finn set off from his home in the Sleevebloom Hills, he walked and walked and walked and walked and, and he found his way to Finnegus. He saw Finnegus sitting there trying to fish and he sat down next to him. And do you know, as soon as Finn McCool arrived and sat next to Finnegus, that salmon leapt clean out of the flat silver water and landed on Finn's lap. Finnicus was delighted and told Finn to roast the fish on a spit uh, ready for him to eat because he wanted to acquire the knowledge of foresight that that salmon would give him. But as Finn was cooking and he was turning that spit... He caught his thumb on a blister on the fish's skin. And immediately, as you would, he put his thumb in his mouth to comfort himself. And in doing so, he'd taken in a bit of the salmon's flesh. And of course, he was the one who acquired the knowledge. Now, all these years later, all Finn had to do was to suck on his thumb and he'd gain that knowledge and he would just know what to do. And so here was this young husband, this young man, standing before him, saying to Finn, will you help me? My wife and I have lost two babies and we do not want to lose our third child. Uh, tell me more, said Fimacool, otherwise this is a blind errand that you're sending me on. There's no time, said the young man. You, you, you simply need to follow me. I lay a geese upon you, that before you eat or drink or sleep, you follow me. Well, a geese is a kind of uh, duty-bound, magical promise, and Finn now could not refuse he had no time to refuse because the young man had got back into his boat and was off across the grey waters. Now, Finn's men began to prepare to leave with him, but Finn said, wait. And he sucked on his thumb and said, no, you will not be coming with me on this journey. You must wait here for me. I will need a brave band of companions to help me, but on this occasion, it's not you. Take the hunt back to the camp. Wait for me there. I will return, but in time. Now I'm on my way because I have to find the people I need to help me. And, and he just left his men behind and he began to walk and walk further up that beach, his feet crunching into the shingle as he went. He walked 
and he walked up a track that led to a craggy rock face. And he could see poking out just beyond it the prow of a ship. And he could hear the sound of an axe chop, chop, chopping wood. He followed the sound and there he saw it was a woman who was chopping the wood and she was picking up the wood that she just chopped and it was clearly her who was completing the building of the ship. She put down the wood and she looked across to Finn. Hello there, he said. I need your help if you're willing to give it to me. Who are you, she said. My name's Finn McCool. I have heard the saddest tale today, the story of a young man and his wife, and he started to tell her the story, but from that ship that was mostly built, he saw a little head pop out from the prow. It was a woman with long, thin hair, and uh, poking out of her hair were two large ears. This is my sister, said the shipwright. Her name is Listener. Sister Listener stopped Finn. He's telling the truth, she said. I can hear that young man. He's he's talking to his wife. I can hear the tremble in her voice. Oh, it's a voice in pain. I can hear I can hear her heartbeat. And I can hear the heartbeat of the unborn child within her. Just then, Finn felt the weight of an almighty grip on his shoulders. And who is this? said a voice behind him. Sister Shipwright said, this is Finn McCool. Finn, this is my sister, Sister Gripper. (laughs) Finn couldn't move. Um, Her grip was so tight. It was like his body had been turned to lead. So he sat still because there was nothing else he could do. And he saw in the distance what he thought at first was a hunting dog sniffing the ground. But then the creature sprang up on two legs. And as she got nearer, he could see this was a woman. This is my sister Sniffer, said Sister Shipwright. Yes, said the sharp-nosed woman. I I could smell your scent from the mountaintop. (laughs) As she spoke, an arrow came heading towards Finn McCool, but just went past his head, grazing his skin just just near to his eye. And he, he couldn't move because Sister Gripper was still holding on to him. But then Sister Gripper started to laugh so much, she let go of him. That's my sister, Marks. <laughs> You'll see her shortly, no doubt. Finn sprung up. Um, he reached for his sword. Looking for this, said another woman, appearing from a small house nearby. Hey, that that's my sword, said Finn. Yes, laughed Sister Shipwright. This is my sister, Thief. <laughs> sister Thief returned Finn's sword to him. Having nimble fingers can sometimes be very useful, she said. I agree, 
said a voice that seemed to be coming from a mile away. Finn looked towards the top of a tree, and there, at the very, very top, was a woman, and she was waving. Oh, and that, that's my sister Climber, said the shipwright. She could climb on a silken thread to the third star on Orion's belt and back. Very soon, all of the sisters gathered together, and Finn told them all the story. I can hear. I can hear how sad she is, said Sister Listener. Oh my, I can, I can hear her crying for her children. Well, that was it. They all agreed to help, all the women, the, the seven sisters. The ship was finished before the tide turned. Finn and the seven sisters were on that ship in a flash. Sister Gripper right at the front, pulling on her oars. And, you know, before long, they were flying through the the waters. When they came to land at sunset, they saw the young husband's boat, and it was there resting on the shingle. The young man came to meet them, to welcome them. He took them to his home. And immediately he laid on a banquet for them. I imagine you're very hungry, he said. And thirsty, said Finn. And they ate. They ate roast salmon, roast boar, and they drank a golden honey mead. (laughs) The young man told them all their story. My wife, he said, has given birth to two babies, two baby boys. But each time, a gruesome giant has stolen them. Now she's to bear our third child. He couldn't carry on speaking because his eyes just glazed over with pain. And Sister Listener spoke. Your wife needs us now, she said. I can hear the child. He's moving swiftly. He's ready to be born. All the women went to the bedchamber of the young woman. Sister Shipwright and Sister Climber held her hands as her birth pains began. And and before long, she had given birth to a baby boy. They gathered around her and she held that baby close to her. But just then, a great hand flew down through the chimney. The arm was as thick as a tree trunk and as muscular as a sea serpent. The hand snatched the child, but Sister Gripper was quick. She held on tight to the giant's wrist, and they could hear the giant trying to escape, and they could hear a tearing and a wrenching and a twisting. Sister Gripper held tight. She wouldn't let go. The giant's arm was torn from its shoulder. Blood spattered down the chimney, gathering in a pool where the turf rests. The babe was returned to its mother, but that's when they all made a great error. Because, you see, they relaxed. Because that giant, even though he's, he'd had his arm ripped from 
the socket, he hadn't given up. He had another hand after all. Another hand. That hand came down through the chimney, grabbed the baby. Off he went. Well, the young mother was inconsolable. Do not weep, said Sister Shipwright. We'll find your child. And if we do not, none of us shall ever return to our hearths for having failed you. Then uh, they were up and they were out with Finn shortly behind them and they just jumped on that ship and Sister Gripper was tearing away at the waves with those oars. And Sister Sniffer, she was sniffing the air and navigating their way. No, no, this way, this way now. No, 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 here, this way. And Sister Listener, she was helping too. I can hear the babe crying, there, there. And she pointed um, to a, a kind of slit of shadow in the distance. And as they got nearer to it, they realised that it was a great tower that seemed to be growing out of the sea. And it was caught in the rays of moonlight because it was dark now. And it was stretching upwards. It was vast with sheer walls and it had a sparkling roof. They rode until the galley touched the walls of the tower. Stop. Sister Climber, she was like a spider. She sprung onto the sheer wall and she began to scale the slippy walls with ease. When she reached the top, she could see now that the roof was made of greasy eel skins. But there was a smoke hole, so she slipped down through that. And of course, there she found a sleeping giant lying on a silken sheet. His arm socket was bloody but congealed with dry blood. In the palm of his other hand was the baby sleeping in the giant's hand and in a, in a, in a little pen near to him were the two little children that he'd stolen. They were playing with a golden ball and silver shinty sticks. At the end of his bed was a large, sleeping wolfhound with two pups. Sister Climber climbed back out, came, came back down, and she told her sister thief, and sister thief said, Climb on my back. Three times they went up that steep tower and back down again. Sister Climber was like a fly, making light of such an arduous task, climbing up the wall and down again. They brought back the newborn baby and the two little brothers. And, you know, Sister Thief was <laughs> so skilled. She, she even took the silken sheet from beneath the giant. Oh, she was so good at what she did. And they also brought the two puppies. And they began to row. 
Sister Gripper pulling that ship through the sea like like a plough tearing through a field. Sister Listener spoke. Sisters, I can hear the giants woken. He's angry. He's sending his hound to destroy us. And sure enough, when they looked into the Black Sea behind them, they could see the hound's red eyes. They could see his fiery breath. Sister Shipwright said to Finn, if that flame gets near to these planks of wood, this ship will go up and we'll perish. Finn said, I've got an idea. And he took hold of one of the puppies and he flung it into the sea. Well, of course, the bitch wolfhound swam directly to her pop and she seized it by the scruff of the neck. She turned and made her way back to the tower, which was her home. But it wasn't long before Sister Listener spoke again. He's even more angry, she said. The wolfhound is growling at him. He's decided to come after us himself. Row! shouted Finn. Row! And all the sisters rowed with all their might. To that giant, the ship was like, like a toy boat. He was so tall that even though his feet touched the bottom of the seabed, the waves only reached his thighs. The giant was gaining on them. Finn put his thumb in his mouth so that the insight could come to him. Wait, said Finn, he, he has a weak spot. Hang on, let me, let me, ah, that's it, said Finn. And now it was difficult for them to hear him because of the roar of the thrashing waves. Sister Listener could, could hear everything he said clear as day. Shout louder, she said, for my sister's sake. He has a mole on the palm of his hand. If that mole is pierced, he'll die. At that, Sister Markswoman flung down her oar and readied herself with her bow and arrow. She put the nub of the arrowhead in the bow. And she waited, and the giant reached down towards them. The arrow flew through the air and straight into the giant's blemish. He began to sway this way and that. The sea buckled the ship. The seven sisters and Finn could feel themselves rising high, then falling low, rising high, falling low. The giant was the size of a mountain. When he fell, what a crash, what a splash. They were soaked in the ship, but the sh that little ship, even though it rocked wildly. Let me tell you, 
those women, they didn't give up. They rode and rode until the ship righted itself and was clear in that water. He's gone, shouted Finn. But we have to go back to the tower. The tower? Are you, are you, are you mad? Said Sister Shipwright. Yes, said Finn, perhaps I am. But I'm not going to leave that bitch hound and her pup. All alone. In that tower, they're going to starve. And they, he was right, you know. And the sisters knew it and they nodded, they agreed. And so they turned that ship around and they went back. Sister Climber climbed all the way back up again through the smoke hole and down. And, you know, she was surprised to see not a fearsome hound, but a gentle hound um, sheltering its pup. You see, the giant's magic was gone. And the wolfhound happily clung onto her with the pup. And soon they were out of the tower and they were back on the ship. Sun rose. It was morning. The ship lodged on the shingle beach. That woman was waiting with her husband. I can't describe to you her joy when she was handed her newborn baby and the two little boys that she thought she'd lost. <laughs> The woman and her husband knelt down to the seven sisters and Finn, and they were silent. Their gesture told them how grateful they were. The seven sisters and Finn were welcomed into that home. And you know, they stayed not for a week or a month, but for a whole year and a day. And the sisters were waited on hand and foot. You know, during that year and a day, there were times of dancing, uh, hunting, storytelling. They even they taken that um, shinty with the silver sticks, the golden uh, and the golden ball. And so they even played shinty, and there was storytelling, and of course, there was friendship. <laughs> They watched those two little pups grow into fine hunting dogs that year. But of course, it was time to go. Finn and those seven women had things to do. And Finn said goodbye. The woman and her husband said, we want you to go away from here with something that you'll remember us by. And Finn smiled and said, I'll take the brindle dog. He'd seen him grow from a pop. He called that dog Bran. And that was the first of Finn McCool's great hunting hounds. And, you know, uh, just a few years later, 
they were the dogs that led Finn to his long-lost child, Asheen, his son, his own son. Well, you know, folks, that is another story. And so for now, that's the end of my story. I hope you enjoyed it. And, oh, I really enjoyed telling you that tale. Um, Until the next Seeing Stories podcast, may the road rise to meet you. See you soon.